0: You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. Let me begin by reading. Psalm 44. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what deeds you performed in their days in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm give them victory. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king and my God. You command victories for Jacob, though, we, though through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down our assailants. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us, From our foes and have put to confusion those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Yet you have rejected us and abased us, and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and our enemies have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter, and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the people's All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face at the words of the taunters and revilers at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, yet we have not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you have broken us in the haunt of jackals and covered us with deep darkness." If we had forgotten the name of our God, or spread out our hands to a strange God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Because of you, we are being killed all day long and accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Awake, do not cast us off forever." Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For we sink down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. In a moment, I want to dive into that psalm and consider what the psalmist is saying, what the psalmist is singing. But first of all, um, I want to comment on the fact that this is a kind of a jarring experience for me being here this morning. Um, I did not know when I came in here that you all practiced spiritual gifts and the gift of teleportation that Janelle practiced where she was here and then at the beach and now back. I mean, that's just amazing. And so I'm not, you know, uh, and I half suspect if this sermon doesn't go well, I'll end up being preaching at the beach or, you know, uh, uh, you know, someplace else and just you you will be gone or or maybe you'll disappear. I don't know how that works. I'm not, not, I don't have that gift myself. Um, And the other thing that was a bit unnerving to me is um, Lars was going through his communion meditation. It was not the fact that it was on a psalm, because uh, he actually helped set me up in, in terms of some things I want to say to you. But it was the fact that um, if I understood him correctly, and check me if I'm wrong, when he was, a, 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 several years ago, he sang nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? And he was describing how that cross unfolded as they sang it. And then the cross sort of um, went back and, and sort of went back into whatever its original shape was, and he said they sang nothing but the blood of Jesus backwards. Now, I grew up in the, um, in the 70s and 80s, and everybody was warning me about songs like Stairway to Heaven and how you're not supposed to play them backwards. And I'm trying to think of whether that's even biblical to play um, uh, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus backwards. So um, I did not come here to judge you, but I, I'm afraid that there may be some judgment in this sermon. And um, so, because, uh, I mean, you know, Stairway to Heaven is okay, but messing with Nothing But the Blood. I don't know. Um, it, it's a it's a joy to be here. Um, I I think that I was here in the 1980s, late 1980s or mid 1980s. I became a Christian at the Torrance Church of Christ, and um, and I was involved with the youth group for a couple of years there. And I remember going to some kind of Jesus and Me function, jam function, um, and I I think it was here, um, and I, that was. Uh, a goodly while ago, and, um, and so it's a delight to be back and to be here and to be with you. I'm really happy that my wife Shelley and my youngest son Elliot, my other three uh, boys are in college, but I'm, I'm really happy that the three of us could be here. Um, and I'm a, a professor of New Testament at Pepperdine, and I also work with Pepperdine's international programs. And so if you have questions about Pepperdine, you have questions about Harbor coming up in, at the end of April, um, beginning of May, or you have questions about anything to do with, with Pepperdine, um, uh, I'm happy to answer them. If they're positive questions, if they're negative, negative questions, I can refer you to people. Um, so, um, but I'm glad to talk about Pepperdine. I love where I work. But I love the fact that where I work is a place where they asked me, hey, am I free to go and... Um, speak about God's Word someplace, and I'm grateful to Brian for, um, for uh, picking me up I, off, the, off the bench. You know, in, in, in middle school, I sat a long time on the bench waiting to be chosen, and I, I don't know how long I was. I don't know what the inner workings, but Brian picked me up and uh, chose me to come this Sunday. Um, I will note that he's not here, but we won't make anything out of that. Um, <laughs> But I hope that, um, that this morning is a blessing to you. Um, and let me just say that my main point is to help us to appreciate the beauty and the power of the psalms, and specifically of Psalm 44, but really, Psalm 44 as an entry, as an entry into the psalms. Um, the Psalter, the, Psal- the book of Psalms, are such a such an odd uh, group of, of writings in the whole of the New Testament. They're so famous and they're so influential, but they really stand apart from much of the rest of the of the of the Bible, the Old and New Testament. When we read um, the Bible, we approach it here in this conviction: this is the Word of God, and and yet the Psalms are different as the Word of God than anything else that I can think of, or, or nearly anything else I can think of. In the, in, the, in the Bible, because where there are texts that are inspired in such a way that they, they are the words of God for us, think of the Ten Commandments given to the Israelites and then recorded in um, Exodus chapter 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5. Those are, those are God's words for us, or the words from the prophets. There are words that describe what God is doing, words about God and God's behavior, God's actions, God's relationship with his peoples. That is, the, um, is, is, is also this inspired nature of the scriptures. But the Psalms stand apart because they are inspired words of God, not about God or from God, but they are words that God gives to place on our lips open up our hearts before God. These are inspired words given to us to teach us how to speak to God. Shelly and I just finished watching the the movie The Green Book, and there's this, 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 uh, I won't ruin the whole film for you, just parts of it. Um, there is this, uh, the, there's this, 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 this situation where uh, a man is traveling and uh, working for another man, and he is um, he's away from his wife for a couple of months, and he promi- his wife makes him promise to write him. And he's not a well educated person. He's and so the initial letters are 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 are, are quite messy and quite sloppy um, and um, really inartful. And um, his his employer, Doctor Don Shirley, sees him writing these letters. And he says, "Here, let me help you with this." And um, uh, Doctor Shirley is a is a man who is very cultured and very uh, very uh, and very um, a man of letters, and so he understands how to write and how to communicate. And so he starts telling the author of these letters, Tony Lip. He starts telling him how to write them out, and as he does, you know, Tony just records what he does, right? And it surprises his wife. His wife begins to read these letters, and she's overcome by this. And for, next thing you know, she's sharing it with her family members and her friends, and they're des- she's describing in these these letters and and just how beautiful they are. And by the by the end of the story. Tony is able to write letters to his wife without the aid of Dr. Shirley, but influenced by him so that he's able to communicate to her at a whole different level how much she means to him in very beautiful, not quite as sophisticated as Dr. Shirley, but very beautiful language. And so the the letters that that Dr. Shirley sort of wrote for Tony to give to his wife taught him how to communicate to his wife so that eventually he could communicate on his own. And I believe that the Psalms function among several different ways. They function like that. They teach us by giving us words to use with respect to God. They teach us how to communicate so that we can then communicate not just through the words of the Psalms, but on our own, they, they, that we can learn the language of prayer and praise. And there's a host of different kinds of Psalms. There's, and and what's, what's amazing to me is that God gives us this language, this ability to communicate with him that isn't just praise all the time. God doesn't just want us to praise him. The Psalms run this range between um, praise and lament or complaint, between thanking God, and even at times blaming God. That's the surprising part. When you read the Psalms, the Psalms are using language that sometimes we're. I mean, and, and I chose Psalm 44 as one of the as an example of this. Sometimes when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, "Am I allowed to say that to God? Am I allowed to talk to God like that?" Right? If I were in a context where these words were given me and said, "You need to say this to God," I would say, you know. I can't. I can't talk like that to God. I'd be like Peter on um, on, on the rooftop when the when the sheet of, of of foods of all animals of all kind came down. And, he's, and I said, "No unclean lips have ever. or unclean food has ever entered my body." I'd say, "I can't do that." But then all of a sudden, it's God saying, "This is this is for you." He tells Peter to to, to stand up and, and 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 eat and get the get the food. He's telling us these are my words for you to place on my mouth on your mouth and speak them, and learn that I can handle what you have to give. I can handle the human heart, God tells us in the Psalms. Now, Psalm 44 is a beautiful psalm, um, now, I was reading it. Shelley and I are doing this uh, uh, thing where we're, every day we're reading a, 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 a psalm, go, sort of going through the psalms one, uh, one day at a time, one psalm at a time. And I don't know what we're going to do when we get to Psalm 119. I have not decided if I'm going to you know, just spend the whole day doing that or if I'm going to break it up. I'm, I'm a little bit scared about that. But but I was reading a few weeks ago. I was reading Psalm, 80, uh, psalm 44, and it just hit me just how... Beautiful, this psalm was, and yet how challenging it was. Now, it starts, you know, and in, in, in Lars was talking about this psalm that, um, uh, that Psalm, I think it was 85. He was talking about Psalm 85 um, and how it begins, uh, it has this, this, this praise of what God has done. And our psalm starts that way it starts with praise of what God has done in the past. The psalmist says, we have heard with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what deeds you performed in, their day, in the days of old. And this, this is not unusual, right? It's, it's, it's sort of the, 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 the bread and butter workings of, of the Israelites as they gather together. They recount what God has done in the past. In a couple of weeks, so not March 31st, but April 10th, um, or something like that, April, se- April 7th, thank you. Um, I'm still working on math, that's why I teach Bible. Um, the, um, the, you, you'll have a Seder, and in the Seder, one of the things that will be said, one of the things will be recounted, the main thing that's recounted, is the exodus. And the purpose of the Seder is to put the participants in the Seder in the presence of and, and sort of part of the story of the exodus. That's what the psalmist is singing about. He's singing about how God has delivered in the past our parents and our parents' parents, all the way back to the time this took place, have told us what God has done for us. How God delivered us and how he gave us the land in which to come. And it was, it was, it was, it was acquired through these victories, but these victories were not our doing. Notice the humility of the ancestors, of the the fathers and mothers of the Israelites who said, we didn't do this. No, this victory did not come by our sword or by our hand. No, it came by by God's right hand and his arm and the light of his face, the light of your face, O Lord. Um, recalling the, the language like you see in Deuteronomy chapter 26, a wandering Aramean was my father. He, um, uh, we're told, uh, you know, the Deuteronomy teaches the people when they're giving the offering to recount their history. And then it talks about how God, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, delivered the Israelites out of bondage, right? And he says, we here, the psalmist says, we did not do this ourselves. Our ancestors didn't do it themselves, you delivered them by your hand, your right hand, and your arm, and the light of your face. Then he says, that's what happened with our parents, 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 way back when. But, but it's also what we know now. He goes on in the next section, verses four through eight, and he says, you are my king and my God. And here he speaks. Perhaps this is the psalm. The psal, the psalmist is the king of Israel speaking on behalf of the Israelites. Or, or perhaps he takes on that persona. We don't know. But he says, you are my king and my God. You command victories. You pu- through you we push down our foes. Again, notice, just like our ancestors did not trust in their weapons, But you delivered them, he says, for not in my bow bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to confusion those who hate us. God is the one who delivers us. God is the one who rescues me, the psalmist says. He did it for my parents and for my parents' parents all the way back into the time of the Exodus. And he's done it for me. This is the God who is my king and my Lord. In fact, he says in verse 8, I boast. I boast in this God. Now, we're sort of taught not to boast, um, but in the ancient world, right, the, the, the world of honor and shame, to, to identify somebody's worth, the way you did that was to, was to honor them through praise and to boast about them. And what what the psalmist is saying is, I boast in the Lord, which is both about how great and honorable the Lord is and how honorable, sort of a derivative honor, how honored I am to be God's person, to be part of God's people. So he boasts in the Lord. He has this honor because God is so honorable, so great. So this is this wonderful psalm, and in a sense, we're just like Psalm 85 at this point. We've recounted the history. We've stated where we are with respect to our relationship with God. We are dependent upon God. We trust in God, not in ourselves. But Psalm 85 that Lars was talking about earlier, it goes a different direction. It starts to talk about some things where we have failed. The surprising part of Psalm 44 is it starts to talk about where God seems to have failed. In fact, if you'll permit me, if we look at the language here, the psalmist is not saying that God seems to have failed. He's saying God has failed. He says, yet you, and and, 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 and the transition from 8 to 9, from we boast in you, O Lord, to yet you, you, you've rejected us. You've not gone out with our armies. The setting of this is probably a military defeat that's so substantial that it's humbled and humiliated the Israelites before all their neighbors. God has not gone out with them. You've rejected us. You haven't gone out with us. You have made us turn back from the foe. Our enemies have gotten spoil from us. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and we have scattered, and are scattered among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle demanding no high price for them. Not just have you not gone out with us, but you've allowed us to be sold into slavery. Not just allowed us, but you have sold us yourself. And what's worse, you didn't even try to make a profit off of it. You sold us at discount. As if all you wanted to do was get rid of us. You, you have made us a taunt of our neighbor's. So that, so that when people see the Israelites, they're seeing them and they say that they, don't, they don't have to come up with names to call the Israelites. Israelite itself is such a shameful and embarrassing thing. You just say, you're an Israelite. <laughs> he says, you have made us a taunt and an um, and, and object of derision and scorn, a byword among the nations, a laughingstock. Remember verse 8 where he says, we have boasted in you continually. Now he says... All day long, my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered me, has covered my face. We've gone, he says, the psalmist says, from a place of honor and boasting in the Lord to a place where we are admired in shame, and the reason we've gone from there is because The Lord has handed us over to our enemies. The Lord has made us an object of derision, a laughingstock to our enemies. Now, we're wired to say, like Job's friends to Job, but what did you do to make the Lord do this to you? Because ultimately, if something bad happens to you, you must deserve it, right? That's, that's the way we're, we're sort of conditioned. I don't think the Bible, by the way, conditions us for that. I think that's just sort of maybe the way that we're hardwired in the world as it is to sort of look for how we're at fault. And what, what ultimately, if you're going to complain, I'm going to say, well, it's probably something that you did. But the psalmist is ahead of us. Verse 17, all this has come upon us, yet we have not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, but you have broken us in the haunt of jackals and covered us with deep darkness. The psalmist says that we, all these things have happened to us and we have remained faithful to you. All these things have happened to us and we have not strayed from your way. So so don't go blaming me there's something wrong in our relationship, God, but it's not my fault. Somebody's changed, and it must be you. Our ancestors experienced deliverance. Even in my own life, I've experienced, and my people have experienced deliverance, but now, where are you? You're not just absent. You're handing us over to these troubles and to, these, to the shame. And, and even now, I'm faithful to you even now we remain committed to your way and yet you have covered us with deep darkness. We've gone right from that from that beautiful phrase the light of your face in verse 3 to we are covered with deep darkness god has turned away and we are we're so ashamed and so set apart, and, it, and it's, it's not us. But we, come on, you, you, you know there must be something going on in their lives to make them deserve this, right? So the psalmist comes back to this point in verse 20. Now, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a strange God, would not God have discovered this? In other words, the psalmist knows that in saying these things, he's speaking to God. He's speaking to the God who knows all things. And so he's not trying to pull a fast one over him, saying, I didn't have anything to do with this. It's not my fault. He says, if we had gone after other gods, if we had been faithless, you, O Lord, would know it. And then he says something that's truly remarkable, something I I am frightened to say. He says, God knows the secrets of the heart. God knows the secrets of the heart. How many of us are comfortable this morning with that, with that awareness that God sees into our hearts and knows what we're thinking? Like, for instance, that the sermon is going on too long. That's a sin. God, it's not a sin to go on too long. It's a sin to <laughs> think that. God knows our hearts. There's this prayer, Adonai, Et Libi. God, you know my heart. And, 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 and to, to, to say that prayer or to recognize this is, is, to, is to be opened before God, and yet the psalmist is willing to say, you know my heart, you know, you know, you know, Lord, this is not my fault, this is not our fault. Sure, there have been times when Israel has gone astray, but this is not one of those times. We're faithful to you. And yet, because of you, we are being killed all day long and accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Because of you, not in spite of you, not where are you, but because of you, we are being killed all day long. And there's a part of me as I read this psalm; I feel like I'm, I'm stepping into a situation where I'm, I'm seeing a, 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 a kind of pain that the psalmist is singing a kind of authentic pain that sort of reveals his very heart. And I, I, I almost want to turn away because I, don't, I, I feel like it's, it's so acute and so sharp. And yet, by, by, by being here in the Scriptures, it's sort of opened up for us to, to see into the very painful place that the psalmist stands and says this. And it makes me think of people who have experienced such great pain. We, we don't live in a time where we have uh, uh, military defeats like they did in ancient Israel. But we live in a time where we, have, we suffer pain and defeat. And sometimes it's because of things that we've done. But there are times when we suffer and when people we know suffer for no reasons that we can account for. There's no reason to explain why that suffering is happening. And here, the psalmist is in a very similar place. Because of you, we are being killed all day long. And then he says, Rouse yourself. He says, Why do you sleep, O Lord? Wake up! He's talking to God calling upon God to pay attention, calling upon God to open up his eyes and to see where he's at. It reminds me of the disciples on the boat with Jesus when the storms kicked up on the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember this from Mark chapter 4? And where is Jesus as the waves are, are, are knocking the boat about and, and, and they're coming into the boat and, and these hardy, um, seafaring disciples who had been, um, many of them had been fishers, fishermen, um, are experiencing this, right? Where, where's Jesus? He's asleep. And what did they say to him? Why are you sleeping? Don't you care that we're perishing? And in the same way, the psalmist here is saying, In fact, crying out, wake up, God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said to God, where are you? Wake up, pay attention. And then maybe you've said that and you're like, oh, wait, mm, I'm sorry, God. I shouldn't be doing that. But the psalmist doesn't stop to apologize. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For we sink down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up. We're, we're admired in this shame and this defeat. We're down in the dirt. God, rise up. Redeem us, he says. And here he pulls the card of all cards. He, he makes the claim of all claims. This is, if you, if you want to know how to get right at the heart of who God is and, and appeal to God, this is the one. He says, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. The word, you probably have heard it before, the word here in Hebrew is chesed. And chesed is the word to describe not just God's love, but God's faithful, covenantal commitment to his people. The Psalter, the Psalms sing out about great is the Lord because of his steadfast love. If you go back into the story of the Exodus and into Deuteronomy and all the way through the history of Israel, over and over again, God's Faithful love, his Hesed is celebrated, is focused upon. And here the psalmist says, Redeem us for the sake of that love. This is on you. This is on what you said you would do, who you said you were, who you say you are. Do this, he says. And then the psalm ends. it's a, It's kind of surprising that it ends. Because if we go through the Psalter and we look at all these complaints, then there are a lot of them in the Psalms. Um, there are a lot of complaints, but usually they follow a pattern. If We don't have time right now, but if you want to look at this, the best example, that, and it's short too, is Psalm 13. Psalm 13 describes a situation, complaint, makes a petition to God, complains about a circumstance, and then ends... Surprisingly, with praise, most of these complaint psalms end with praise. But every once in a while, a psalm just ends without any resolution, without any reorientation, to use the language that Lars was using, with just this sense of, where are you? Interestingly, Psalm 44 and Psalm 88 are, are two of those psalms. So Psalm 44 ends this way and and it doesn't play by the rules that we'd expect. We want resolution. We want this to be resolved and this wake up redounds through all of the Psalms. It's it's unanswered. It, It goes through all of the scriptures and it seems to have no answer. It echoes through time, through centuries. The cry Where are you? And I'm mindful of people who've cried out to God. Maybe here, I don't know you well enough to know who you are, but I know that people who are crying out to God, where are you? Why are you sleeping? Why have you done this? Why is this happening? And they're not getting a response. It's so unsatisfying, the silence. But it's interesting to me that I actually know of this psalm from another passage in the scriptures. It shows up really kind of a surprising way. It sort of just dropped in the middle, and it doesn't seem to fit. But I wonder, I wonder if it fits more than I know. Turn with me to, the, to Paul's letter to the Romans, to chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And if you know this le- if you know Paul's letter, you know Romans 8, if, if, if you don't know the Bible very well, um, and, and you're wondering where should I step into the Bible, I th- encourage you to step into Romans 8. It, Romans 8 is a great starting place. I, you're not supposed to start in the middle, but, you know, um, go ahead, do it. Tell, you know, tell God I said you could. Um, Romans chapter 8. It's this beautiful, thought-provoking description of how God has rescued the people. Um, the, 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 now we're not just talking about the Israelites, but we're talking about all people, and how those who have received God's Spirit have been, ra- have been um, uh, uh, raised with Christ, he describes it. And, and, and we have this hope, this hope in the resurrection, and we have this hope in sort of the resolution, not just of, for ourselves, but for all of creation, Is that your telephone ringer? <laughs> okay, yeah, I was like, I was like, that, yeah. again, what a weird church because be, you 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 sing hymns backwards and instead of having like you know Bob Seger or something on your on your on your dial when you're on your ringers, you've got scriptures. This is crazy. <laughs> I was 8. I know. I, it's probably doing a better job than I'm doing it. Anyway, in Romans eight, Paul. Is, is, it's actually the, the, toward the end of the, the major part of his argument, and he gets to this crescendo, to this, the, to this amazingly beautiful sort of uh, peroration. It's, it's, just, it's just this astonishing passage, and, and many of you will be familiar with it. And, and it, it, it goes like this. What then are we to say about these things, verse 31? If God is for us, who is against us? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long, and we are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. Sound familiar? It's coming right from Psalm 44. Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword whatever can be imagined even even the cry of psalm 44 for your sake o oh god we are being killed all day long we are sheep led to the slaughter no God knows our hearts. There is a cry that goes out and that echoes across time. Where are you? Why have you done this? Wake up! And there is an answer. It may not come when we expect it. It may not come immediately at the end of the psalm and immediately at the end of our cry to God. It may come at some time when we least expect it. But it is rooted in this. Nothing separates us from God's love. Nothing separates us from God's love. God has loved us in Jesus Christ. And because he has loved us so fully, so eternally, so substantially, it is possible, and here's the paradox, it is possible for us to really be honest with God really cry out to him. And even in the midst of the most forsakenness, even God-forsakenness, we can hold on to this truth. Nothing will separate us from God's love. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. If you need to know that love, if you need prayers for that love, if you want to step in and give yourself over to that love, if you have questions about that love, or if you just need to say, wake up, God, and you need somebody that will hold your hand as you say it and give you strength to be who you really are in the presence of God, the God who loves you, This is a good time to come as we stand and we sing.